الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم واتبع سبيل من اناب الي قال قال تعالى في مقام اخر اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين انعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين صدق الله العظيم مصطفى علماء الكرام for the guidance of mankind allah send down his special servants from the first human being on earth sayyidina adam alayhi salam bina wali salatu salam wallah taala made his first messenger and then the various anbiya alayhi salatu salam and the messengers of allah taala came and finally rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was sent as a mercy to mankind <coughs> Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam was sent as the last and final nabi of Allah Taala no nabi to come after him the doors of nubuwwat closed at that point and his nubuwwat is still qiyamah the nubuwwat of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is still qiyamah but the time that he was on earth after nubuwwat was 23 years but this mission of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam continued till qiyamah and in order to continue that mission allah taala selected servants throughout the ages they took on that message that rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam left the ummah they imbibed that message in their lives they lived it they imparted it in terms of the knowledge and they practically demonstrated what that life is all about they loved the mubarak sunnah of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and in every era and time allah taala made such personalities the beacons of guidance for mankind and one one person became the means of the hidayat of thousands of people so in every era after rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam the sahaba ikram they were the thought bearers of deen they were the beacons of guidance and then after them came the tabi'in the tabi'in tabi'in and in that era the great muhaddisin the fuqaha the mujtahidin and the mujahidin and all the various other personalities of deen that came and in every era this was the same process that allah taala made as the means of the guidance of mankind and this is what we have been ordered to do in the quran sharif that look for the people of guidance one is the guidance itself and the book of the guidance is the quran sharif and the commentary of the book of guidance is the hadith sharif but yet in the quran sharif allah taala commands us to follow the people of guidance whereas in essence what we are actually being or required to do is to follow the book of guidance the quran sharif because that is what allah taala has revealed for hidayah 
Zalikal kitabul ariba fi hudallil muttaqin. That is what we are supposed to be doing. But in order to do that, that is what we are required. In order to do that, the command in the Quran Sharif is وَاتَّبِعْ سَبِيلَ مَنْ أَنَابَ إِلَيْهِ Follow the path of those who turn to Allah Ta'ala. In reality, who have submitted their lives to Allah Ta'ala. In terms of what they have in their hearts, in terms of the iman and the correct aqaid and beliefs and whatever else is required inside and in terms of what they love their practice those who have truly turned to Allah Ta'ala and this is the dua that has been made wajib upon us every day in every salah Allah guide us to the straight path every salah, our salah is incomplete without this guide us to the straight path straight path, which straight path the path of such people whom you have favored. And the people, in another ayat of the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala himself explains who these people are. Among the Salam, that door of Nubuat is closed. No Nabi to come now. But then the Siddiqeen, the Shuhada and Salihin will remain till Qiyamah. So we are asking in every rakat of every salah, Ya Allah guide us to the path of the Siddiqeen, to the path of the Shuhada and Salihin, the path of people. Because those who have truly acquired the knowledge and lived that knowledge, they are the ones worthy of being followed. So this is the process and this is what will carry on to Qiyamah. And this is the clear pattern by which a person will be rightly guided himself. And he will then, inshallah, become the means of guidance of others also. But a person shifts from this, decides to do it on his own, like a person got a medical problem, so now he's trying to solve it by a Google. A person has want to do something in terms of putting up a structure. So instead of an engineer, he decides to go also through Google. So he will cause a great disaster in his life. So nevertheless, to come to the subject on hand, one of these personalities Allah Ta'ala had made a beacon of hidayat and of guidance and Allah Ta'ala had blessed immensely Abdullah bin Mubarak and this is the personality inshallah in the short time that we have we can barely just get some glimpses of his very illustrious life and one of the reasons for discussing these lives of the pious of the great personalities of Deen, Hazrat Junaid Baghdadi this is his statement that Al Hikayat Jundum Min Junudillah, that the incidents of the pious, this is among the armies of the armies of Allah Ta'ala. It's one of the armies of the armies of Allah Ta'ala. What does an army do? An army goes ahead and conquers. And if it's an army of Allah Ta'ala, what can come in its way? What he's actually saying to us is that there is a very, very deep impact on the heart. This conquers the heart. It inspires the heart towards emulating them. And therefore, this is a very, very effective thing and something to be done always. To read about the lives of the Anbiya, the life of Rasulullah, the lives of the Sahaba Ikram, 
the lives of all the pious personalities of the Ummah. This is an, a very, very effective means of bringing that real uh, inspiration in the hearts and giving us the correct direction. Because these people, they practically lived deen. By looking at their lives, looking at the how they lived their lives, how they reacted to situations, how they conducted themselves, we get the practical explanation of the sunnah. Therefore, this is something to always be doing, and this is one of the reasons that these programs are held, where the lives of various pious people are discussed. Inshallah, Allah Ta'ala, make it a means of us also gaining that inspiration, and make it a means of us emulating their Mubarak lives and following their footsteps. Coming to the discussion about Abdullah bin Mubarak, there are some people Allah Ta'ala makes them very, very special, blesses them with very special qualities. To understand who Abdullah bin Mubarak was, in his era, some senior people of the time, Musa bin Fadl and Various others, these are just, will be just names to us, we have no idea who these people were, but they were great people of the time. Once such people, group of them got together, they sat down, said, let's start uh, counting the great qualities of Abdullah bin Mubarak. Somebody knows something about him, somebody knows something else. What do we know about him? Now there's a group of people sitting, and they are now thinking about Abdullah bin Mubarak, who is this man? What do we know about him? What are his qualities? But now these discussions that we are engaging in must not just be some historical account that we just go through for the sake of just knowing some history. But these are also moments for us to pause and reflect. Now these people got together and they're going to be sitting to discuss this great personality. What are his qualities? Let us now pause. Let us reflect about ourselves. Imagine some people who are very close to us, who know us well, whether some people from our own household, some who we work with, some who interact on a social level often, some who might be in some other way, they know us well, and these people got together, and now they are talking about, what do we know about this person? Perhaps we can write it down in our mind already, what, what they might already start discussing about us. Allah knows best. Inshallah, all will be having a very good write-up about them. Maybe somebody else who's not seated here, sometimes maybe something like this could happen. Somebody might say, like, look now, we're forced to say the facts. Like there's one Hadith Sharif, which mentions about something happened in the times of Jahiliya long ago. As Aisha Siddiqah relates us from Rasulullah that 11 women got together. And that was in the times of Jahiliya, and they got together and they said, now oh, the husband we all gone on some long journey, so now they went to pass the time. So pass the time how? Everybody's going to speak the truth about her husband. Can we imagine if we were the topic of discussion? So now somebody said something and somebody said something. It's a very, very interesting narration, but lengthy narration, no time to go into it. Just to take one example, one woman said, now she's, the eloquence of Arabic in which she is speaking it as well, that zawji lahmu jamalin ghasthin ala jamalin wa'arin 
that if you want to see somebody really standing out in Qiyamul Layl and standing in the night in worshipping Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala, you'll find Abdullah bin Mubarak Alhamdulillah. Then somebody came up and said, if you really want to see somebody who does not get involved, Fima la ya'ni, man hafiza lisanahu amma la ya'ni, somebody who keeps his tongue guarded from anything that doesn't concern him. If you want to find somebody who is really standing out in this, this too you'll find Abdullah Mubarak Alhamdulillah. Then somebody came and said, well, if you really want to see somebody who, despite whatever the issues are, he is the one who is in, hardly ever found in any dispute. You will never find him disputing with his companions, with people around him. This is the last person you will find this. He is in a level of his own in this regard also. And then, you are not always going to be in agreement with everyone. There are sometimes you just cannot be in agreement with somebody. If the person is holding such a view which is wrong, clearly in the terms of the Quran and Sunnah, you can't be in agreement with him. But at the same time, Abdullah Mubarak Rahmatullah one person says that if there was somebody who you can find who can maintain muhabbat despite differences, you'll find him. Despite differences, but somebody who can maintain love and muhabbat. Now can we imagine all these titles, not on an average level, beyond a specialist level, all found in one person. One personality is the combination of all these great things. Subhanallah, this is Lalika Fadrullah, Yutihi Mayyasha. This is the special grace of Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala blesses whoever He wishes with the special grace. But this is that great personality of Abdullah bin Barak Alhamdulillah. Allah Ta'ala blessed Him with all these great qualities. And together with that, the acceptance Allah Ta'ala blessed Him with. He was born, we are talking about somebody who was right in the early era. 118 Hijra, after Hijra 118, so now he is still in the golden era. And this was the time of Harun Rashid, the king of the time, was also a pious person. Nevertheless, one day Harun Rashid had come to the city of Raqqa. And it happened, he was there in the palace, it happened that Abdullah Mubarak Alhamdulillah also came along. He came, he was on his journey. So, on his journey he came in and he happened to pass by the palace. The road passing the palace. But there was such a huge crowd of people running behind just to get a glimpse of him. It is mentioned in that on that occasion, because of the number of people trying to run to get to get one glimpse of him, just to catch up with him, people's sandals were breaking because they're now in that rush, tramping on one another's sandals, and that person is trying to pick his foot up and the sandal is breaking. It was dirt roads, there was a cloud hanging in the air of dust because of the number of people. Now one slave girl of Harun Rashid, she heard all this commotion outside, what's going on? She looked out of the balcony and she saw what's going on. She asked somebody, what's happening here? So she said, Alim of Khurasan has come. So people are now just thronging to just get one glimpse of him also. Now she's the slave girl of Harun Rashid, the king of the time. So when she heard this, she said, this is the king. Not Harun Rashid. This is the king. Harun Rashid can't get anybody to gather for him until he doesn't have his police together to give them some order, some instruction. And here people are coming of their own love and muhabbat. This is the king. He's ruling the hearts of people. This was the acceptance Allah Ta'ala had blessed him with. But this is the personality 
who Allah Ta'ala then used tremendously for the khidmat of deen. Just to get to a little bit to his background, his father, Abdullah bin Mubarak, his father's name was Mubarak. Mubarak was a slave, a slave of some person from the Banu Hanzala tribe. And he used to tend to the orchard of this master of his. He used to live in that orchard also. So there's one incident about how the father Mubarak, and now there's a big lesson in this also. So one day the master, he came to the orchard, he came to the orchard, he asked the person tending to it, he slave, Mubarak, he said, bring one pomegranate. So he went, he plucked one pomegranate and brought it, he cut it open, gave him to drink, but it was sour. Since this is sour, bring another one. So he went to a different tree, brought another one and came, that too is sour. So now he started getting irritated, but don't you know where is the sweet one, go bring another one and come. He went finally, brought a third one and came, that too was sour. So now he got very irritated, he says, can't you just bring something sweet, don't you know where is the sweet one? He said, no, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You are for years in this orchard, you don't know? He says, I don't know. How come you don't know? He says, I've never tasted any fruit of the orchard. He says, you've never tasted any fruit of the orchard, it was like an unthinkable thing. Somebody working in the orchard, there's fruit falling every now and again somewhere. Forget fruit falling, where it's not falling, people make it fall. <laughs> so here it's falling all the time, the person is uh, tending to the orchard day and night. And you haven't ever tasted one fruit of this orchard? She says, no, you haven't given me permission to ever eat the fruit. You only asked me to work the orchard, so I have no permission to eat, so how can I eat? This person became very impressed with this answer. Together with this one other incident happened, that now this master, his daughter was of marriageable age, so one day he came and he asked Abdullah Mubarak himself that who is the right person to get my daughter married to? Meaning what kind of person? So he said, well, in the times of Jahiliya, in the times of Jahiliya, lineage was everything. What is the person's lineage? Somebody of a very high lineage, that was everything. Then they would, that would be the basis on which they'll make the, the final decision. And the Jews, well, the Yahud, everything is money for them. Then everything else can be nothing, but as long as the money is there, they in. The Nasara, they make beauty their main objective. But Deen has taught us that the primary basis is, Islam has taught us the primary basis is the Deen of the person. If the person has Deen, he's conscious of Allah wa Ta'ala, he's conscious of the rights of Allah Ta'ala, he's conscious person, he doesn't have anything to his name. His two coins which he will rub together to belong to me. What this person has to his name? So now first he must now show himself, prove himself now, what kind of figures that he can put on the table. That was not the basis. What he was concerned about is, what is the values this person has, not what his monetary value is. Monetary value, many a times that monetary value became a musibat also. If the zeal that monetary value will become Rahmat. But if there's no deen, then all that monetary value also can become a bigger musibat. So in any case, he got his daughter married to this slave of his Mubarak. And this was the 
marriage that took place and through this marriage this child Abdullah bin Mubarak was born now this was the caliber of the parents this was the result that Allah Ta'ala blessed them with a child of this nature that he grew up to become Abdullah Mubarak the great muhaddith and faqih of the time as far as his own life is concerned his early life sometimes it happens that due to some kind of wrong company, whatever the case is, sometimes things go off track. And likewise, Abdullah Anbarak, whatever the reasons might have been, in his early life, he was involved in a very carefree life and involved in some vices and sins. So once it was the time when the fruit was all now ripe and when the time used to come for plucking the fruit in the orchards, this would be like a kind of outing time. People would go and base themselves in the orchards and the plucking and the harvesting will take place also and there will be merry making at the same time so he invited all his friends and now they are in this orchard of his fruit all there and the merry making and the singing and dancing and intoxicants and everything is carrying on so one day he was busy, he was an expert at playing some kind of musical instrument some string instrument and he carried on with this half the night and got so intoxicated and drunk and others also similarly they fell asleep in this while in this merry making it was close to super sadik time and his eyes opened his eyes opened with that instrument in his hand so he started trying to now play it again now he's playing it again trying to get the right tune so some kind of string instrument like a guitar or whatever it might have been but now that is just not coming the way he wanted so now he's adjusting something here and there and playing it again and he is singing some hymn at the same time, some rhyme, but he is not getting what the tune he wants. And suddenly, when the time of Hidayat comes sometimes, Allah Ta'ala can make that Hidayat come through any means. Suddenly he is trying to play this instrument, it is like some, that instrument is speaking to him. And clearly from that instrument, he can hear it saying, so to say, or the voice coming from it, the ayat of the Quran Sharif, Alam Ya'anilladina Amanu and Tahsha Kulubuhum Lizikrillah, Ama Nazalam in Al Haq. It has that time not yet come for the believers. Alam Ya'til Alam Ya'anilladina Amanu and Tahsha Kulubuhum Lizikrillah, that their hearts should become humbled for the remembrance of Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala and for the truth that has been revealed from Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala. Has that time not yet come? This was an ayat of the Quran Sharif. It was a question to him. Same question is for us too. This is the point we made earlier. These are all points for us to pause and reflect. We must check within our own lives. I must look in my own lives. We all must look in our own lives. Has the time not yet come? What are we waiting for? What kind of reminder are we waiting for to now stop whatever issues are there in our lives which are sinful which are against the commands of Allah Taala, which are trampling the Sharia Allah that has blessed us with, which are against the way of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is a time to pause and think. Alam amanu When Abdullah heard this coming from this instrument, his instant response, Bala ya Rabbi, Qad'an, Bala ya Rabbi, why not my Rabb, that time has come. He carried on saying this and he broke that instrument. Broke that instrument, stood up and all that wine, whatever was there, he threw it all away, spilt it immediately. And then 
resorted to sincere toba, and that was it. That was the last time in his life that he ever had anything to do with this. That was the sincerity of his toba, and he turned his back onto this life completely, and he turned towards ilm and ibadat. This was the turning point. And for the first time in his life now, after his childhood had passed and he got caught up in all these things, now he turned towards Allah wa ta'ala. He was approximately 20 years of age when he started learning deen for the first time. Now this is also a very important point. 20 years now normally a person by the time he's reached 20, he's in life already. Now to stop and learn deen, I didn't manage to, whatever reason, learn the Quran Sharif yet, or didn't even get the basic the knowledge of the Messiah of deen, we are going to start learning now. It's never too late to start. It's not too late to start at 20. It's not too late to start at 40 or 80 also. There are some places, mashallah, some masjids in Durban. They have some classes for adults as well. There was one jalsa, not last year, the previous year. So they were handing out some awards for those who completed the Nazra of the Quran Sharif, those who learned. So there were some people at the age of 65, 70 or 80. Allah Alam, one person was also quite elderly. For the first time in their life, they came, they started learning, they completed their nazra for the first time in their life, and together with some little children, they came and collected an award. It's never too late to learn deen. The doors of seeking knowledge are always open there, and we should always be thirsting to learn about our deen, and especially the basics of deen, we should be always going to acquire that knowledge. So in any case, at the age of 20, he started acquiring the knowledge of deen, and he really committed himself to this, traveled far and wide to acquire the ahadith of Rasulullah after having acquired all the basic knowledge and then moving on. And he really engrossed himself. And often he would be for lengthy periods alone, just engrossed in his studies, come to the masjid, perform his salah, and then keep engrossed for lengthy periods in his work. Once somebody asked him that you stay alone so long, don't you feel lonely? This is also a very big problem. Very often people say, but I just got caught, caught, caught up in this and caught up in that because I was bored. I was alone, I didn't know what to do, I had nothing to do. So now he used to be alone for long periods of time. Somebody asked him that, don't you get lonely? He said, me? Lonely? How can I be lonely? When I'm in the company of Rasulullah and the Sahaba Ikram. You in the company of Nabi Wasallam and the Sahaba Ikram? the ahadith of Rasulullah being in the company of the ahadith of Rasulullah is the company of what? Is the company of the pious personality, of the great personalities there. You're reading about the hadith of Rasulullah it is, you are in the company of his Mubarak words. In his company, you're in the company of the Mubarak words of the Sahaba Ikram. So in their company, but now again, question for us, how much of time we spend during the day and night, in whose company? One is often human company, mashallah, we're in the masjid, we're in the company of good people, we're in the company of pious people, or we might be out in the path of Allah Ta'ala, or whatever other, we're at work, mashallah, we're associating with people who are, maybe whoever got their direction right. But apart from that, sometimes we're sitting alone, we are in company. In whose company? Allah forbid, sometimes it is in the worst company the most filthy company, the most immoral company, the company that is indescribable. And we spend hours in that kind of company. People spend half the night in that company. They say, I couldn't wake up for Fajr because I got caught up on something on the phone. 
What kind of company is this? And Nabi Salaam has clearly warned Al Maru Allah Dini Khalilihi Falyamdur Ahadukum Mayukhalil. A person he becomes like his friend. So beware of who you befriend, beware of whose company you are in. Now a person is in this kind of filthy, immoral company, what will become of him? There's a big debate carrying on in several states of America where pornography is now being debated that this should be labeled as a health hazard that this is some kind of crisis, health crisis or whatever it is that is from their perspective or whatever it is, some health hazard it's spiritual health disaster physical health, they will keep debating that but not only physical health, they are saying it's causing societal havoc causing havoc in society now who's talking about this havoc? people who are on a different level of the haya and modesty and shame, they are already at such a low point for them if two people, two couples meet if this person doesn't hug that person's wife he didn't fulfill the etiquette that is the level of their haya and that is their morality but people with that level of morality are suddenly shocked about it so what is, how, how far down this is now a person is spending half the night in such company what becomes of the heart after that? And what becomes of the mind? And when that head is in sajda, where is that mind? And where is that heart? So this is something which we need to keep questioning ourselves. Yeah, Abdullah Mubarak Abdullah was asked, don't you feel lonely sometimes? He said, lonely? When you're in the company of Nabi Wasallam, the company of the Sahaba, how can you be lonely? We should ask ourselves whose company we are in. We have to also come in this company. We also have to be in the company of the pious. Read about the biographies of the pious. Read about the lives of the Sahaba, the other pious personalities. There's so much to learn from it. There's so much of inspiration in it. It gives a person so much of drive. The Abbiti, the autobiography of the Sheikh Al-Hadith, Zakaria Sahib, it's an encyclopedia. It gives a person lessons of life, practical lessons of life, from all the incidents that he had in his life, experiences. These are the things to read. These are light readings. One is a person feels now too heavy academic reading becomes a little bit difficult for me. It's very light reading without much uh, any real pressure on the mind. It's very easy reading, very light reading, very enjoyable to read and so much to take from it. Nevertheless, to go further, some of the characteristics of some of his qualities etc. we are discussing. As far as his knowledge is concerned, we just got a small glimpse of it, but it was not just knowledge alone. That knowledge was coupled with amal. Otherwise, outwardly there's something, in theory there's something, but if that amal is not accompanying that knowledge, is not accompanying that external profile, then this is a major, major problem. Ilm and amal have to go hand in hand. Al-ilmu bila amalin kashajaratin bila samar. That knowledge without action is like a fruitless tree. The tree is there, but there's no fruit on it. Can't give any benefit to anybody. So therefore, he was a person who was not just in knowledge only, but in amal as well. And one of the great personalities of that time, Aswad bin Salim, he testifies to this, that Kana ibn al-Mubarak, Kana ibn al-Mubarak imaman yuqtadabihi. Number one, he says that Ibn al-Mubarak, he was an imam who was somebody to be followed. Why? وَكَانَ مِنْ أَثْبَتِ أَهْلِ السُنَّةِ وَكَانَ مِنْ أَثْبَتِ النَّاسِ فِي السُنَّةِ 
He was the most committed of all the people to the Sunnah of Rasulullah. Now, this is a very big lesson in this one testimony of a pious person of that time. That we have to follow people. We already spoke about this right at the beginning. We are going to have to follow people for our guidance. But which people? People who can very eloquently say something only? No. People with the right knowledge who are committed to the sunnah of Rasulullah This is the message that he was giving here. That Tana Ibn al-Mubarak imaman yuqtadabi. He was an imam to be emulated and followed. Why? وَكَانَ مِنْ أَسْبَتِ النَّاسِ فِي السُنَّةِ Most committed of all the people in the sunnah of Rasulullah His life was the embodiment of the sunnah of Rasulullah So therefore this was the reason that he is somebody to be emulated and somebody to be followed. Apart from this, his life was a very unique pattern. One year he would go for Hajj. And the next year he would spend his time in Jihad. So one year he would go for Hajj. Those days the Hajj journey it would take maybe a few months sometimes to one and a half, two months to get to Hajj. Then you would be there for a period of time, perform the Hajj. Then come back another two months. So almost half the year would go the, day, the year you are making Hajj. So he would go once in a lifetime. He would go one year Hajj. And then one year in jihad. And the jihad he used to go and serve right at the border, which was the most dangerous part, where the attack comes first, and at the frontiers. And he would be giving his time to serve deen and protect the deen of Allah Taala and guard the lands of the Muslims by putting himself right at the forefront, right in the battlefront. In any case, as far as his hajj is concerned, there are some unique incidents about his hajj. And in our terminology nowadays, we say he had a unique Hajj package. And perhaps if somebody can try and match the Hajj package, but what can we say then? And it seems like there won't be any takers for any other package. After we hear about it, we'll know why. But I don't think we'll get seats. So in any case, he had this was his pattern. One year he would go for Hajj, one year he would go for Jihad. Now the year that he's going for Hajj, many people from Maru, they would come to him, they would say, I also want to come along for Hajj this year, I, I'm planning to go for Hajj, very well, you, I want to join you, okay, no problem. And a lot of people, whole group of them would now come and say that I want to join you for Hajj, no problem. Say, well, my condition is that if you want to join me, then whatever your expenses for Hajj are, you put it all together, you label it, and I will keep it in safekeeping. And throughout the journey, this will be my responsibility. Whatever expenditure has to be made from that, that's my responsibility. So you bring it and you deposit it with me. So very well, long in advance, before the journey begins, people would bring all their bags of whatever their savings are for the expenses of Hajj, come and leave it with him. He would take it all and lock it into one chest. Now the time would finally come to depart for Hajj. So from Maru, they would go to Baghdad. Now on the way, he's taking care of all the needs and the requirements and the food and whatever else, the transport. And then in Baghdad, he would take care of whatever else. Then day in Baghdad, he would say to everybody, now this is our final leg from here to Madinah Munawara. So he would buy new clothes for everyone. But now we're heading for Madinah Sharif. And whatever else they need way. And then the journey would continue all the way to Madinah Munawara. And en route again, all the transport and all the food and whatever else. And he's providing the best of food for them. Then they would come to Madinah Munawara and spend some time there. And in Madinah Munawara, when the time would finally come to, and in Madinah Munawara, again, he's taking care of all the requirements, whatever is needed. The time would come close to departing. 
He would ask each person, perhaps your family told you to bring something along for them, some special thing from Madinah Sharif. What they told you, somebody would say, well, my family told me this, somebody would say that. He will make the arrangements required. And have each person given what he had asked for. Then they would come to Makkah Mukarramah, at the same process day again. Then the whole Hajj is performed. Finally, they would, after that, return the whole journey back. Again, the same thing, he's taking care of all the needs and all the requirements. Finally, they would come back home. <coughs> and after three days, after three days, he would now invite all those who had come along with him for Hajj. He well, we have been along for so long together, we traveled so long together, we have become so close to each other. So now, there's an invitation for everybody to come join me for a meal. Everybody would come. After that meal is over, he would have the chest brought. And the chest would be opened, and every person's that bag of money that he had come and deposited was there, untouched, labeled as it was. And he would return each person's bag of money to him again. In other words, the expenses of the entire Hajj journey for the whole group, for all the, whatever expenses were there, for the transport, for the accommodation, for the food, and the best of food he's providing, was all out of his own pocket. Now this was his Hajj package. And this was every second year he would perform Hajj in this manner. If we were living in that era, he would also probably have been had very zealous to perform Hajj every second year also. So in any case, this was the way that he would uh, spend one year in Hajj and one year in Jihad. One year he was on his way for Hajj. As they were en route, they stopped, camped at some place. <coughs> the next day it was time to leave. So they already packed everything and the luggage would be loaded onto the camels. And those who were now in charge of that, they had already been told to now start moving. So they left already and the others are now just getting ready to leave. So while all this is happening, there was one servant with him who had a partridge, bird. It happened, this person was traveling along with that. It just happened that at that point where they were, that bird died. So now it's dead now. So nearby, where they could see, there was a dump. People were dumping whatever the dirt was. So this person went and he dumped that partridge, that bird on that dump. As he dumped it and he came away, Suddenly from the corner of his eye where Abdullah Mubarak was, he just suddenly noticed that in one little like a shanty, one door just cracked open and a small little girl, she's peeping and she's hiding. And she's doing this over and over. He realized that she's trying to just see that she's looking for a chance when she is not being watched. So she wants to do something, but she's looking for a chance when she's not being watched. So in any case, he pretended now to turn the other side, but now this is something very curious, what's going on here? So he pretended to be looking the other side, and suddenly he sees that this girl darted out, young little girl, she darted out, she ran to this dump, she grabbed that dead bird, and she darted back into that home, that little shanty. So Abdullah took his servant and went along, had him knock on the door, so the door opened a little again, so he said, look, I've seen what happened. That was carrier. That, that, that was a bird that died, it wasn't slaughtered, it's carrion. So, why did you come and take that away? So she responded and said that I live here in, with my sister in this house, in this little shanty, we have nobody else. We are just two little children. And we have nothing. Our father passed away, all the inheritance was usurped by others. And we are fending for ourselves, the only thing we own is this clothing on our body. And we are starving for three days, 
for us to eat even this haram meat is now not just permissible to save our lives, it is compulsory for us, to the extent of saving the lives. And Allah Mubarakatullah heard this, he mentioned various things, this is the gist of it. He sent the instruction that call for all the luggage back. Then he called his treasurer who was with him now because he used to take care of this whole group. He asked him that how much of money we have with us for the expenses. Now he was still on his journey for Hajj. He said we have a thousand dinars, thousand gold coins. A thousand gold coins in that time was a very big amount. Count thousand gold coins for this time, thousand Kruger rams. What amount it is? So he asked the person that where we are now, we have to take the whole group back, we have to feed everybody on the way, etc. If we return home, how much will need sufficient to get back home? He said, well, we need about 40 dinars. Out of 1,000 dinars, we'll need 40 dinars. He said, we'll keep the 40. And the rest of that 1,000 dinars, the 960 dinars, he said, give it to this girl. And the Hajj, the Hajj cancelled. Hajj cancelled, we're going home. So he took a U-turn and he started leaving for home. So somebody asked him, but why you cancel the Hajj? He says, today I found an opportunity which will give me far greater reward than Nafil Hajj. This was an opportunity which will give me far greater reward than Nafil Hajj. Now he was somebody who wasn't going for Hajj just for some kind of entertainment. He wasn't going for Hajj just to, well, like a holiday. But he had his priorities in order. That here was a desperate situation. And now this situation is staring him in the eye, first hand. One is you heard something, fire out, somebody else might do something. Now here is one on one. And you walk away from here, these people might starve to death. So he knew his priorities. That that Nafil Hajj, he'll make next year also. But this is a priority now. And he cancelled that Hajj out of the thousand gold coins, kept 40 for the journey back home. And that 960 gave it away to this girl. Now this is the kind of personality he was. And these are the kind of incidents that were in his life. This was his generosity. And this was the way he conducted himself on this kind of occasion as well. It is stated about him and this, this aspect about knowing the priorities. Very often this kind of things happen. One doctor mentioned to me once that very often when it's time of the holiday seasons, well, very often or often this happens from time to time, he said, that he sees it happening in the holiday seasons. Sometimes people come and admit some elderly parents so no, but what's the problem? He says, no, just admit him. But is he suffering from something? Is there a problem? He says, no, just admit him. Admit him for what? He says, don't worry, we'll pay whatever the bill is. He'll be safe here, he'll be taken care of, he'll be holiday. In other words, he's not sick, nothing's wrong with him. But we, we can't take him along, he'll be a burden for us. And obviously we can't leave him alone at home. So now you care for him in the hospital. What the bill is, we'll sign the check, one check, don't worry. But can we imagine what goes through the heart of that parent? What kind of pieces that heart must be shattering into? Now, these are the choices sometimes that we have to make. And sometimes we give it a deeny guys. So we go on for Umrah. But at that time when there's a desperate situation, when that parent is desperately in need of that help and company because there's nobody else to care, and we give it a deeny guys, now we go on for Umrah, then we haven't learned priorities. And Allah knows best. Allah knows best whether there will be any reward for that Umrah or a person will be taken to task for that Umrah. Allah knows Allah.
that Umrah which led to the abandonment of an elderly parent who was in need of that help, in need of that assistance. That is abandonment. Allah knows best whether that Umrah will bring any reward or that Umrah will become a means of being taken to task. So in any case, Abdul Barak this was his generosity, it is mentioned, he was a, together with his involvement in deen, in his involvement in all his activities of his knowledge and jihad, and etc. He was also a business person. He had extensive business interests through his agents, whatever, and that money would come in huge amounts, but that money was spent on the servants of Allah Ta'ala. His generosity had like no limits to it. It is said he would spend 100,000 dirhams every year on the poor alone. 100,000 dirhams at that time was a very big amount. He would spend this on the poor. There are some strange incidents, very amazing incidents about his generosity as well. One person was in a dire situation. He needed some help to pay out some debts. Now, in a Muslim country where there's a proper Sharia law, if a person is now in debt and he's not paying on time, and the creditor demands the payment, and it is not certain that this person is definitely down and out, he doesn't have the means to pay. If he has the means to, no means to pay, it is established he has nothing to pay, then you have to give him respite. But if the creditor is saying, no, no, this person is hiding something, then the Qazi will make the decision that, okay, fine, he'll, he'll sit in prison until he can pay his debts. That's how important the payment of debts are, that he'll sit in prison until the debt is paid. So now this person was going to be facing some jail time because he's not paying his debt. Now he didn't have anything, but now the creditor is not understanding the situation. So somebody told him, go and speak to Abdullah Mubarak, he'll help you to sort it out. So he came and he said, this is my issue. How much you, I needed 700 dirhams to sort out my debt. I'm down and out. I need the 700 dirhams. So he wrote out a note to his treasurer that this person, when you get this note from me, you give him 7,000 dirhams. So now this person came along with the note to the treasurer, the agent, he asked him that what's the issue? So he said, no, well, I was sent to Abdullah Mubarak for some help and I needed 700 dirhams. So I asked him for the help and he wrote out this note and he told me to come to, this, to you with this note. So this person reads the note and he says, well, fine, don't worry, I will give you your 700 dirhams. But Abdullah Mubarak has made a mistake in here. So while you're waiting, let me also just get this mistake cleared up and sorted out, because so to say, just get it endorsed. So he wrote another note that I have received your note, I've understood its contents, but there is a mistake here, so therefore this mistake should be corrected. And I will fulfill this person's need. And he sent somebody else with that note. And that person came with the note of Abdullah Mubarak, Alhamdulillah, he wrote onto it that I have received your note, I have understood its contents, and when you receive my note, you give this person 14,000 dirhams. So now when this came back, he now realized that it was not a mistake. The person asked for 700, he wanted to give him 7,000. So now he wrote back. Now he is writing back and saying, well, if this is how you're going to just keep spending all your wealth, then in time you'll have to start selling off all your lands and properties, whatever, then the source of this income will all dry up. It'll all come to an end. And all the good work you're doing will all come to an end. MashaAllah, what wonderful advice. Allah Mubarak Rahmatullah received this. First he wrote there, that if you, if I, uh, you are, or I am your treasurer, or I am your agent, and you are my superior, then you should instruct me and I will follow your instructions. But if you are taking instructions from me, 
then you listen to what I'm saying. And you fulfill it as I have told you. And he sent that note back. And then on top of that he wrote, and if all this income will come to an end, our life is also coming to an end. And once a life comes to an end, what is going to be the use of this income? The person came for 700. He wanted to give him 7,000 because the treasurer thought he'll save it. This person, mashallah, went to 14,000. This was the kind of personality it was. But in that generosity, in that generosity, it was infused with sincerity. He used to, every second year, go for that time in his jihad. So he would come past the city of Raqqa. And he would stay there in a little inn. Because now overnight he has to sit, be there, then move on. And there used to be one youngster there, that youngster, whenever he would come past, the youngster would come and help him out, would be at his khidmat, etc. Oh, come and benefit from his knowledge. So once he came past and that youngster wasn't there, but he was on his way, he was in a rush to leave and so he didn't even get a chance to find out. When he returned, he came back and stopped overnight, that youngster is still not there. And he had seen him many, many times. He said, quiet, that this youngster always used to be here, where is he? He says, well, he's sitting in prison. For what? Same situation. He was in debt. He couldn't pay the debt in time and the creditor demanded it and now he's sitting in prison. How much is the debt? 10,000 dirhams. So he inquired who is the creditor. So they told him so and so is the creditor. He went to the creditor, met him privately and he said to him that 10,000 dirhams the youngster is owing you. He said yes. He counted out 10,000 dirhams. He said there's your money. Now you go and free him but I'm putting you to oath that as long as I'm alive you are not going to speak about this incident. And nobody will ever hear from you who came and paid this money. In any case, that person was put to oath, he accepted and he went. He went and uh, filed it with the Qazi that my money I have been paid, I have received the money, this person can be released. So that youngster was released, the youngster came along. Now when he met him, they asked him, you have nowhere to be seen, where were you? He says, well I was in prison, what happened? He says, well I had this debt on my head, I couldn't pay and I was languishing there, so then what happened? Some kind person came and paid it out and I don't even know who he is. He will just make dua for him. Allah Ta'ala uh, made the means for you and he left it at that. That youngster never knew till Abdullah al was alive who was responsible for that payment of the debt and who secured the release of him from prison. This was an ikhlas as well. And this is an essential ingredient that has to be there in every amal. A person without ikhlas doing something it's like a person, for example, he's trying to phone somebody, for our purposes, example, phone somebody in Makkah Mukarama, but he's dialing the code of maybe somewhere else, Timbuktu. So now, where is that call ever going to link up to Makkah Mukarama? The person who he wants to talk to is sitting by the Kaaba Sharif, he's never going to reach there. He might reach wherever he's dialing. So likewise in the Amal, when the niyat is ikhlas, then he is dialing the right numbers. Then he will connect to Allah Ta'ala. But if he is doing it for some other purpose, some ulterior motive, some name and fame, whatever else, so he is dialing some other number. He is dialing the number that will get connected to shaitan, get connected to something else, it will destroy everything. So that ikhlas is a very, very important and essential thing. Despite all this wealth that Abdullah Mubarak Ali had, but this wealth didn't have any effect on him, meaning it didn't taint him in any way. He was a person who, despite this wealth, was a person who was the Zahid of the time, a person with abstinence, a very high level of abstinence of dunya and 
Once Khuzay bin Ayyaz, rahimahullah, a very great personality, uh, Imam al-Awliya of the time, he said to him that you give us this big, big talks about abstinence, but what about all this dunya you're keeping? So he replied to him and said, I keep this for two reasons. One is to protect my honor, that I don't have to ask anybody for something. I don't have to stretch my hand in front of somebody else. And I keep it to help and serve the deen of Allah Ta'ala and the servants of Allah Ta'ala. Fuzail bin Ayyaz said, if this is the case, this is very excellent. You keep it. Meaning, this is not for dunya. This dunya is for deen. This dunya is for Allah Ta'ala. When this dunya becomes for Allah Ta'ala, the dunya becomes deen also. So in any case, this was, despite this wealth, he would, he compiled a thick book of hadith only of those riwayat, those narrations, which deal with the aspect of abstinence, deal with the aspect of akhirat, kitab al-zuhudi wal-raqaiq, those ahadiths that deal with the life of hereafter, so that a person doesn't become attached to dunya. He reads about this, it creates the yearning for akhirat. And this life of dunya is not where he wants to be attaching his heart to. He compiled this book, this was the degree of abstinence. From time to time he would sit and read the, in the books of hadith, there's a chapter, Kitabul Riqaq, those ahadiths that pertain to things that will soften the heart, because it has all the reminders of akhirat and all the things that make a person detach himself from dunya, attach himself to akhirat, and the aspects of jannat, of jahannam, of qabr. <laughs> Abdullah Mubarak, alhamdulillah, would read these ahadith. And the narrator says, when he would read these ahadith, he would cry so profusely, it was like as if an ox was being slaughtered. And this was the way he would be affected by these ahadith that he was reciting. This was the kind of personality he was, even in his own that he did not get affected by this dunya in any way. Then just one time is already running out, but one very important sub-topic here, we'll inshallah just wrap up on this. One of the very, very great qualities in any person, and obviously a personality of this nature, this will be to a peak in him, was the quality of adab. Ba adab, ba nasib. Be adab, Benasib, this is a very, very well-known Urdu line. The person who has adab in his life, he will gain great heights. He'll achieve a lot. The person who is deprived of adab, he will be totally deprived. He will not make any headway anywhere. Neither in deen, not even in dunya also. Once he was in the company of Sufyan bin Uyayna rahimahullah. Sufyan bin Uyayna rahimahullah was a muhaddis of a very high caliber. Open the books of hadith and every way the hadith are all filled. So now he was a very senior personality. Now in that gathering, Abdullah Mubarak because they knew he's a faqih of the time, so somebody asked him a question. Now look at his response, spontaneous response. Nuhina annatakallama inda akabirina. That we have been prohibited from speaking in the presence of our akabir. This terminology is carrying on from that time. Some people hear the word Akabir and they get some shivers. These people don't know now what where this Akabir came out from and oh, what's this following Akabir and all this. This didn't start yesterday. This didn't start from Darulam Yoban also. Abdullah Barak Ali was born in 118 after Hijri, passed away in 181 after Hijri. This is in the second century. And in that time and even before that this terminology was used. He said we have been forbidden meaning this is not respectful. This is something that is not in keeping with the etiquette. He is the senior here, you ask him the question. I am not the person to be answering now. 
whereas he's the faqih of the time. But this is the adab he had. Once he was narrating hadith, and as narrating hadith, he said, Haddathana Nu'man ibn Sabitin. Now when he took the word of Nu'man bin Sabit, so one person asked him that, who are you referring to? Who is Nu'man bin Sabit? Whereas the person perhaps knew full well. Now he just stopped and he said, but who are you referring to? Aslam Bharati stopped and said, I'm referring to Abu Hanifa. I'm referring to that person who's the essence of ilm. The person whose ilm is imbibed in him. And then he began giving the various titles of Imam Abu Hanifa. So, first he just said, I'm referring to Abu Hanifa, who was the Imam. So many people put their pens down. They decide to stop writing. So this is not something that started now. It's something that started in that time. That wherever there's a tree with fruit, you get people throwing stones also. Abu Hanifa, Allah had blessed him with a very high position. And among his students was the specialist of the time. Abdullah Mubarak, this great personality, this great muhaddis, this great faqih, this great zahid, this great personality in all the branches of deen, he was a humble student of Imam Abu Hanifa And now he was narrating hadith from him. My teacher Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, he related this to us. Now some because of the whatever misconceptions about Imam Abu Hanifa whatever propaganda that was running through at that time, they put their friends down. We don't want to write any hadith that is related from this person. So he stopped and he said that how ignorant are you of the people of knowledge? This is a very, very important point. Very important comment that he made. That people who are the true people of knowledge, you can't guess for yourself. People of knowledge will recognize who the people of knowledge are. A person without knowledge, just one example which we used previously also, once somewhere, they hired somebody, whatever now it's not the ideal example to take, but nevertheless, somebody somewhere was hired for something, because they heard his beautiful voice. So now on that beautiful voice, he might maybe sang something or whatever, so melodious, so they hired him. But now they hired him, the work that he had to be doing was, he was going to be singing all the time. He can't do any of the work, and he's making a mess of everything. So now somebody else saw this, so the employers now were now bewildered, now what do we do? That person said, you see, fault is your because. What our fault? He said, you'll heard the sound of the hooter, and you'll bought the car. The hooter sounded very nice, so the car must be nice. So now you bought the car. So likewise, something sounds like knowledge. It sounds like a lot of quotations. It sounds like a lot of wisdom. Is it wisdom? Is it really knowledge? That you have to ask people of knowledge. They'll tell you that this is all sometimes distortions. And what not is going on in there. Nevertheless, the time has passed. So when this came... He stopped and he said, how ignorant are you of the people of knowledge? And how terrible is your adab and etiquette? That a personality like Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, I'm quoting his narration and you refuse to write. He took a qasam for one month, I will not narrate any hadith for you. As a lesson to them. Because of, to teach them respect. And to teach them to recognize who is worthy of being emulated, who is worthy of being followed. This was the kind of personality he was, this was, he was the person who 
learn from these great people, Imam Hanifa Rahmatullahi was his ustad, various other great muhaddisin of the time, just one line of his, one advice, he advised people once, that لِيَكُنْ مَجْلِسُكَ مَعَ masakin. Associate with the poor, be in their company. Because when you are in their company, you'll become less, deep, less attached to the dunya. You'll, you'll also become humble. Otherwise, when you sit with people who are talking bigger figures than your own, you are talking six figures, they're talking eight figures. You'll be dreaming of nine figures. So that's how then the heart and mind will keep going. But if you remain with the poor, you will be sitting in their company, it will make you humble, it will make you appreciative of the ni'mat Allah has blessed you with. And the other thing he mentioned, وَحْذَرْ أَن تَجْلِسْ مَعَ صَاحِبِ بِدْعَةٍ Don't ever sit with a person who has corruption in him. Corrupted beliefs, corrupted thoughts, corrupted ideas, because that corruption will rub off onto you. This was one advice that he gave. Just... One, one uh, incident of his in terms of his piety, he was gone to Maru. Or he was in Sham, he was gone to Sham. And when he went there, he needed to write something. So now it happens sometimes, you just needed to write something, somebody is just sitting next door, you borrow the pen. Or he asked for a pen, he borrowed it, he wrote what he had to write. And force of habit, like a person takes it and put it in his pocket, so he had that pen what left with him. Now from Maru, he came back, from, from Sham, he came back to Maru. When he came back to Maru, to his place, he realized, this pen is still with me. I didn't return it to the owner. Now we are talking about that era and that time, and there were no planes flying around, there were no trains also, and there were no motorized vehicles. It was on horseback or camelback, and through what kind of terrain you can imagine. What is the distance? The distance is approximately 2,800 kilometers. Approximately 2,800 kilometers between Maru and Sham. He traveled all the way there to go and return this one pen. The cost of that journey might have been many hundreds of times or thousands of times more than the cost of that pen. But it's amanat. It is an amanat. I have to return this amanat to the owner. The owner didn't give it to me as a gift. This amanat must be returned. This was the extent of his piety, his concern for amanat. And this is what made these people what they became. These values, these, this akhlaq, these great qualities. And after all that, the humility, the humility he would often keep saying, minhum. I love the pious people, though I'm not pious. And at the same time, he used to say, that I despise the evil, meaning their actions. I despise their actions, but I am worse than them. That the wrong action, I have to despise it, because that's a requirement of deen. But I am not better than them, I am worse than them. Allah Ta'ala give us a tawfiq, that we too learn from these great personalities, and Allah Ta'ala enable us to emulate them. أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير واجعل عواقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك 
ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف النعاد اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه معين الحمد لله